Good morning. Can we just give the worship team a hand and the Lord just thank you. They put in such good work. Thank you, Isaac. This is pretty heavy, so give him a hand too. <laughs> good morning. Can you guys believe we're already two weeks in to the semester? Maybe you can. You probably just feel everything that is a semester already, maybe weighing down or schedules or or whatever it is, but I'm just so excited to get to open God's Word with you this semester as we go through Joseph. And, and I want to start just with a question, pretty simple one. Who loves stories? Maybe, okay, everyone raises their hands. That's good. Right, we, maybe as you've gotten back from break and you've seen roommates or colleagues or friends, you've probably swapped stories that happened over break. Maybe there are stories that made you cry or laugh or maybe both at the same time. You, you shared stories full of good news or things that were embarrassing that happened over break, right? We love stories. I think it's, it's why we, we love stories. We love books, right? We love movies. Right now, my, my two boys, they love to be told or read stories. We do it every night before we go to bed, can you go back to maybe when you were growing up and when you were little and your parents maybe read you or told you stories before bed? Maybe it was the Hungry Caterpillar or Curious George. My kids love Curious George mainly because he gets into trouble, but then it works out in the end. Right? We, we love those stories. Right? You were drawn in by them. We find ourselves in the story and we relate to the characters. We find meaning in story. Stories often inspire, they evoke emotion, they create connection. And as we as humans are narrative beings and communicate and make meaning in story form. That's probably why most of the Bible is written as story. It's why Jesus himself taught using story or parables. Right? God communicates to us through story, and we are living his story. Right? We're living a story right now. And so this semester, we're going to be looking at a story. We're going to look at the story of Joseph found in Genesis 37 to 50. And maybe you're really familiar with it, or maybe you're not. But either way, my desire is that as we go through this together as a campus community, that we might find ourselves in the story. And we will pay attention to how God is speaking and moving and working in the story and in our lives. So as we begin, let's just, let's just pray, and we'll open up to Genesis chapter 37. God, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes to see you. God, that you would open our ears to hear your words, and that you'd open our hearts to receive what you have for us, that you would shape and transform us into your image. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 37. If not, it will be on the screen, and I'm going to read for us the first four verses. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. 
Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Let's stop there for just a second. I want to set the scene just a little bit. This story is the story of Jacob's family. And if we go back earlier in Genesis, we remember the story of Abraham and Abraham's son Isaac, and now Isaac's son Jacob. And now Jacob and his sons come into the picture. And right away, Joseph is made the main character. Joseph, he was the son of Rachel, who was Jacob's favorite wife. Joseph was the younger brother of ten older brothers. And right away in these first four verses, we already see division within the family. We're told that Jacob's brothers hated him. But why? Why did Jacob's brothers hate him? Well, verse 2 tells us that Joseph brought a bad report about them to their father. This word bad report can also be translated as evil tale. Right? Joseph went to his father and tattled on his brothers. And maybe the evil tale was true or false. We don't really know. But regardless, Joseph spoke in a negative light about his brothers to his father. He was a tattletale in a snitch. And we can get this. We can understand these, these relational dynamics. So I just raise a hand. Who, who are the youngest in the room in your family? Any youngest? I'm the youngest. I have two older sisters. Okay. What about the oldest? Can you raise your hand? Okay, middle ones, we don't really care. We don't know what to do with you, so I'm sorry. Maybe that hits clue close to the heart. I love you so much. But we get these relational dynamics, right? Older siblings often manipulate younger siblings to do what they want. I still have memories in my mind where my two older sisters convinced me that it would be a good idea to crawl into a sleeping bag and for them to drag me around the house and down the stairs while calling me King Heine. I, I thought it was awesome as a five-year-old. Um, now as, you know, a little older, I'm like, that was embarrassing. Right, or my son Zion, he's only four years old, and somehow when we bake cookies, he already convinces our two-year-old Judah that having the smaller cookie is better than the larger cookie. He's a genius. And then younger siblings, you just want to find your place, because often you're made to feel less than less smart, less strong, like you don't belong. And so what does a younger sibling do to gain favor? They tattle. They snitch on the older sibling so that they get in their parents' good side. We get this. We do this. And for what it's worth, youngest, I'm on your side. We got to stick together. Joseph's brothers hated him. Why, why else? Well, verse 3 tells that, that Joseph was their father's favorite. Joseph was the son of his old age. And Jacob gave Joseph a robe with long sleeves, a coat with many colors. 
And this coat was a perpetual reminder to Joseph's brothers that their father had a special affection, a favoritism toward Joseph. More than that, I wonder how else favoritism may have showed itself in the household. Maybe Jacob often cast blame on the older siblings rather than Joseph, right? Doesn't, doesn't it feel like the younger siblings always get away with it and the older siblings are caught responsible, right? Maybe, maybe that happened. Maybe Joseph was given easier tasks in the house or in the field, right? Or maybe just the special attention on Joseph's interests and passions rather than his brothers just created a hatred from them. Joseph's brothers hated him. And the hate goes even deeper as we continue the story. In verses 5 through 11, Joseph is given a dream. And I want to summarize this dream for us. We're told that Joseph has a dream, and in the dream, he and his brothers are gathering bundles of wheat in the field. And all of a sudden, Joseph's bundle of wheat stands up real tall, and his brother's bundles of wheat bow down to him. And so what does Joseph do? He goes and he tells his brothers this dream. And the text tells us that they hated him even more. I imagine Joseph telling his brothers this dream, right? He, he has this dream. He's so excited. He runs to tell them. He's passionately proclaiming that this will be, that this will happen. Maybe he's using hand gestures like I do. And he's excited. I imagine how his brothers received it. Maybe a little shocked, overwhelmed, angry, confused. But then going even further, Joseph had another dream. And in this dream, Joseph, there was a sun and a moon and 11 stars that were bowing down to Joseph. And Joseph decides to tell his whole family. He, he tells his dad as well, and even his dad reprimands him. And we're told that his brothers were now jealous of him. And this word is even stronger than hate. And so as we see in this text, Joseph was a dreamer. The word dream appears eight times in these 11 verses, and Joseph has two dreams. You know, God's people, you and me, we've always been dreamers. President Hoekstra got at this a little bit last week as he talked about how we were made a little lower than God. That we were created in the image of God. That we were created to create and dream and have vision. And, and I want to clarify something before we get too much further. When I say dream, I don't mean like literal dreams when you're sleeping. Although those are great and fun or frightening, depending upon what it is. But I'm not talking about literal dreams. When I say dream, I mean a picture or vision of a desired future. A gut sense of what will be. A longing for something. And that dream, it could be for a future job or career. Maybe it's a, a longing for a future family and what you hope that to look like. Right? Maybe it's a dream for where you want to live. A longing for a church community, a desire for peace. 
a hope for justice in your town or in our world. And a dream might be about who you'll do it with or where it will be done or when it will happen. And I'll be honest here for just a second. I'm coming at this with two assumptions. Here's here's my first assumption about dreams. Is that first, deep within your being, right, whether you're in this room or watching online, there is a dream. Deep within your being, there is a dream. Jamie Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, writes this. He says, our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity. The wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow. This is who you are. From the very beginning, God created you in his image. He created you to create and to dream. And here's my second assumption. That part of your dream or longing is from God. That this desire deep within you was placed in there by God. And yes, we may have to discern because we live in a sinful and fallen world what that looks like. But deep within you is a dream, a desire from God. And you may not fully understand it. And you may not have the what, how, when, or why. But I believe your passion, the thing that gets you up in the morning, that that is from God. So what is your dream? What do you long for? Or in the words of Jesus, what do you want? And before you answer that, before something comes into your mind, I want to I take a brief pause. Because I know at Dort, we don't really use the word dream, we use the word calling. And we use it a lot. Can I just tell you, even faculty and staff are sick of it. No, sorry. No, no but it's, it, we... We use the word calling, and it's a big deal, and it is a big deal, and it's important, and we love it. But sometimes, I think it can become intimidating and maybe even paralyzing. One, because maybe you're sitting here this morning or in whatever class you have, and you just may not know what you're called to do. You may not know what your dream is, and it just makes you feel behind. Or two, we often idealize calling to mean some big, grand, history-shaking job, movement, or creation. Right? It's the videos we often play or the people that we follow and, and, and put up that are supposed to inspire, and sometimes they do. But I wonder if an unintended consequence is they paralyze us instead because we feel it's unattainable. We'll never do that. We'll never be like that. But can I tell you this morning that your dream is your dream. And it is significant because God has put it in you. That your dream is your dream and it is significant because God has placed it within you. He has wired you in a specific way for a specific thing with a specific people. And it, that is why it's significant. And honestly, I don't think we need any big grand dreamers anymore. Although those, those are important. I think we need more dreams that consist of being really good moms or really good dads. We need more longings and desires to be really good spouses. 
We need our dreams that wherever you end up living, we need to be present pillars in a community. We need dreams that involve being a faithful and trusted friend. Dreams come in all shapes and all sizes and all are significant. So what is your dream? What do you long for? What do you want? Is there a picture that comes to mind? Is there a gut sense that's rising up within you? The dream in Genesis 37 was certainly in Joseph's mind. And he got up and he was excited and he ran to tell his brothers right away. Joseph was excited. God gave him a dream. But why do his brothers hate him for it? Why are they jealous of him if the dream is from God? Well, while there's a lot of good things about dreams, there's also a danger to a dream from God. And the danger of a dream is its premature arrival. Right? The danger of a dream is its premature arrival. God gave Joseph a dream, but Joseph moved into it, or at least tried to, prematurely. He shared it with his family right away as if it was going to happen now. Here's another example, going back to Genesis. Abraham and Sarah, God promised them a son, gave them a dream, put a picture that this will happen, but it took a little longer than they wanted it to, so they took matters in their own hands and they had Ishmael, and that didn't work out. Or let's skip ahead and let's think about Moses. Do you remember when Moses killed the Egyptian when he was harming the Hebrew? And, and yes, killing is wrong. He shouldn't have done that. But also as, Joseph, or as Moses saw this, there's something that was rising up saying, man, this isn't right. It was a birth of a dream to set his people free from bondage. But Moses walked into it prematurely. And what happened? The next day, the Hebrews did not trust him, and he went off to Midian for 40 years. The danger of our dream is moving outside of God's timing. We must wait on God. The psalmist tells us that those who wait on the Lord will not be put to shame. And this is the tricky thing about dreams. Right? If you have a dream in your mind or you have a longing or desire to reconcile a relationship for a particular job, for whatever it is, there's oftentimes a gap between the dream being placed in you by God and the reality of it in your life. John Mark Comer in one of his e-books talks about several different gaps. He talks about how often there's a gap of time that it might take weeks or months or years or even decades to come to be. Or a gap of circumstances. Life happens. There's deaths and births and accidents and anything else that happens because that's just a little bit what life is. Or maybe there's a gap of character. Joseph was 17 when he had the dream. Do you think most 17-year-olds are mature enough to rule or have people bow down to them? I know I wasn't. 
where you often God needs to form and shape our character to eventually live out and steward the dream well. And this is the opposite of our culture. We like fast food and fast Wi-Fi and fast lanes. We want it now, this instant, and for much of what we want, we have access to it at the tip of our fingers with our phones. Right now. We're taught that our life needs to be this up and to the right, always moving forward. But the reality is the Christian life is much more two steps forward and one step back. It's uneven. It's back and forth. It's, as Eugene Peterson says, a long obedience in the same direction. Living and trusting God in the gap is hard. But as followers of Jesus, isn't this where our entire life is lived? The gap between his first coming and his second. The gap between the hope that all things will be made new and them actually becoming new. Living in the in-between and the gap is hard. But it's in the gap where God shapes and forms you and me into the image of Jesus. And that's the goal of the dream. Our God is often a slow-moving, heart-transforming God who cares more about who you're becoming than where you're going. Can I say that again? Our God is often a slow-moving, heart-transforming God who cares more about who you're becoming than where you are going. He wants your heart. More than anything else, he wants your heart. He wants you, and that's the purpose of the gap. To get your heart. It's why in this cultural moment, the story of Joseph is so vitally important. It's a scriptural paradigm for living well in the gap between dream and reality, between the kingdom inaugurated and the kingdom fully realized. And already in our text this morning, we begin to see the gap forming. We see that the brothers were moved from hate to jealousy. But before the gap, there's a dream. That's where I want to land this morning, is I want to invite you this week to dream. God has given you longings, desires, hopes. And this week, will you reflect on what those are? What is your dream? What do you long for? What do you want? Spend some time this week writing it out. Answering those questions because he's created you to dream. God, I thank you for these students and who they are and who you've created them to be. Thank you for the staff and faculty in this room. God, would you open our eyes to your dream for us this morning? We want to give you our hearts. 
Would you form and shape us into your image? You are worthy of all praise and honor. In Jesus' name. Amen.